0: Everyone and welcome back to Retail is Dead. This is a podcast that we started through lockdown 1.0 now as our answer to all of the negative press and things that we hear around the world of retail. We're all fed up hearing that retail is dead when in our own opinion it's just getting exciting. So welcome back. Sorry we've been away for quite a long time but we've had a pretty good excuse this time around. Mm -hmm. How are you doing Bex?
1: I'm all right. I'm all
0: right. I'm excited that we're back. I know. It's super exciting. So you've got Bex and I here today. And our lovely Leanne is four or five days post having her first baby. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So a gorgeous little boy called Romy. We are so excited to meet him. Cannot wait. And we're just super proud and we're so happy for Leanne and Charlie and Jeff. Can't not mention Jeff. (laughs) But it's it's quite a valid excuse not to be here and be recording with us when you are even alive. And she is gutted because this topic (laughs) is so close to her heart, and she's very very passionate about it. So we will get into it, but this time around, we are going to talk all about sustainability. And I think we've all debated this at length. We could be here for weeks talking about this, but we've decided to split it into four key episodes. So this one, today we are going to talk about the circular economy, or as we often call it, the reusables or the second-hand world. The next one will all be about the purpose of sustainability. And then we are going to do a whole episode on places, and then we're going to round up with food and beverage. So whilst I think that we would all agree that we feel more pressure than ever to be more sustainable and to make more sustainable choices in our lives, whether that's use less plastic, use less paper, eat less meat, don't travel as much in your car, don't get on a plane as much. What I think we all think is that we aren't so aware of the positive impact that little changes can make in our buying habits and what changes that could have on the entire planet. And I think when you take a step back and think about sustainability in the fashion world, there's a huge amount of confusion about what these choices might look like and how they might fit in with your own lifestyle. And that's ultimately meant that fashion brands have had to be far more honest and open with us as consumers. Because we are far more demanding and we want to know where those products are made How did they get here? Who has made the products? And in what working conditions? So whilst we're going to delve more into the purpose of sustainability on our next episode, and we're also going to debate the fact that it seems so unfair that to make these choices costs us more as a consumer, Mm. I wanted to mention a quote which has stuck with me from a fashion retailer who said, when she was asked about sustainability within the life cycle of their own brand, that so long as you understand that every morning when you wake up, you're aware of the fact that your wardrobe is in the fashion supply chain, then you in fact are a fashion decision maker. And I think that's really powerful because it's not just down to those buying luxury products. It's not just those buying luxury cars going on expensive holidays. It's all of us. We're Mm. all responsible. We can all take part in it as well. It doesn't have to be something with these huge, complicated barriers to entry. It's it's something that we can all make simple choices in our lives. And I think we're all quite passionate about that. And We debate it at length as well.
1: Definitely. That's so true. And actually, in doing some research for this episode, I realised that exactly what you've said, small, small changes can make a huge difference because actually the impact of the fashion industry is so huge. Forgive me for kind of being the geeky one, but I have some facts to kind of throw out there just because they were mind-blowing to me when I first read them. So fashion yep. industry is one of the biggest contributors to CO2 emissions. In 2018, it was about 4%. In 2019, it jumped to about 10%, which is mad. And Really, I think everything you've just said makes me think that what we need to do is take ownership, take responsibility and make sure that we're doing as best we can, no matter how small those changes might be. Because in a way, and you'll see from these stats, small changes could make a huge impact in the following year. So in no particular order. Leanne sent us some stats from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, who are huge on the circular economy, circular city, circular fashion. So only 1% of clothes are closed-looped recycled, which means they're kind of still in the system rather than going to landfill or whatever. 73% of the clothes that we buy end up being either incinerated or in landfill. 97% of materials that we use to produce clothes are completely new. And that's mostly plastic and cotton, which is mental. And annually, we produce 53 million tons of garments, which is baffling. It's baffling. And I'll leave you with this, which is really the scary bit. If we do nothing Mm -hmm. by 2050, the fashion industry will use up a quarter of the world's carbon budget, which is ridiculous. We can't let that happen, basically.
0: It has to be, I mean, it's our generation and and the
1: Mm. younger
0: generations that have become so much more aware of this, but we also have demanded more and we've we've bought more, haven't we? So
1: totally. we need to do
0: something about it.
1: mm. So, and I think actually that's a really good segue to the brands that we've picked, because as you quite rightly said at the beginning of the podcast, this is going to be a recurring theme for us. Um, So we want this part, if you like, of the podcast to be, really a place where we raise awareness. We share our thoughts. We share our learnings because let's face it, we're all in it together. We're learning as we go along. We're all making mistakes. So we really want this to be a place where we talk about brands that are kind of fighting the good fight, using more, you know, upcycled or recycled materials, turning waste into new products. So That's a good segue into some of the brands we've picked. I'm going to kick us off with H&M, which is obviously a brand we all know. But I think H&M is actually a really good example of big groups that people often turn towards to say, oh, they're greenwashing. And I tend to disagree. They've actually opened a, a store in Stockholm called Loop with a triple O. And what they do is for less than a tenner or or less than 10 bucks, they can turn one of your kind of unwanted items into a completely different product. So I could walk in with a scarf and say, make me a T-shirt. And in the space of a couple of hours, they do it. And you can see the whole process of how they re-spin the garment, which I think is so cool. They've obviously also committed to using recycled materials, like 100% recycled materials by 2030. They have their conscious collection. They grow organic cotton. So they're really kind of trying to hit it at all the stages of the supply chain.
0: So interesting. And on a similar vibe, another bigger brand is Levi's that I wanted to briefly mention. So you you may not realise this, but there's a hell of a lot of water that goes into making denim and making a denim jacket or your favourite jeans, their main goal is to try and reduce that water consumption. So they are looking into waterless technology and they're one of the big denim brands that are doing this. And more recently, you, you may have um, heard us banging on about Ganni because we're all obsessed, but um, <laughs> you may have seen that they did a collaboration with Ganni, where you can rent some of their limited edition products in the Ganni stores and that's called the Ganni Repeat cool. um, collaboration and I think it's really interesting that they are collaboration with a brand that is so forward thinking in the world of sustainability mm. and that they are trying they're trying to do better they can't do it from day one but they're making those steps and then at the polar end of that scale they're also they've got a whole research department working alongside Google, where they are making products which will have wearable tech built into the products. So if you think of a denim jacket and on the cuff or in the sleeve of of the jacket, your speakers will be built into it and your Bluetooth device will be built into it or in the collar as well. So you can have conversations without getting your phone out of your pocket. So in short, they're trying to transform the whole life cycle of denim and of all, all their products that they have which I just think from beginning to end, from the water point to the wearable tech, which is obviously going to cost us more money up front. But in the life cycle, it should mean that you have that product for much longer. I think it's a really interesting way forward that they're looking at.
1: Definitely. There's actually a brand, totally not planned, but there's a brand called Redone who only use old Levi's jeans to do new jeans. I personally haven't bought it. I actually... I mean, talking about the green premium, I think Redone is really expensive, and I really like the mission of the brand. But I can't get myself past the point that it—you know—I'm still spending two two hundred and fifty pounds on a pair of jeans. But I just love Levi's for everything we're, they're doing and what you've just explained yeah. about Google. I mean, that blows my mind. How exciting is that?
0: Our friend Anna looks amazing in those jeans that Anna edited. She did. does, yeah, yeah. They really suit her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm gonna try and do Leanne justice by. Explaining one of the brands that she picked, so she on the com- kind of completely different end of the the price spectrum, she chose Burberry, and and I must say I think Burberry are probably if not the most, one of the most forward-thinking luxury brands out there. What's really cool about them is that they're doing quite a few changes to their supply chain. But one of the things that they've introduced, and I think they were the first ones to do this, is sustainable product labeling. So when you pick up any of their garments, you'll be able to see exactly where the raw materials came from, how's the how's the garment made, where was it made? So it really gives you a much as to your point, a much more transparent view of yeah you know, the life of the product before it came into contact with your hands. And I I also like yeah. the idea that they're using that in their new collection called the Burberry Edit, which is basically a collection using either new kind of tech, innovative materials that have a, a lesser carbon footprint or recycled materials. So they'll pick up like old trench coats and they'll create a whole new collection around that. And I just love that. I love that. I was reading about this earlier, two thirds of all their products are now made to make either a positive social or environmental impact. So they're literally building and baking this into their culture. And what I love about that is what you said before. I think we're all so much more demanding as consumers. And when a brand goes, okay, Mm -hmm. do you know what? I'll just open up my books and show you everything. It's just so powerful. And I think it has like immediate repercussions on sales.
0: Absolutely. And I think we'll pick up that more of the, the social and ethical awareness alongside the transparency point in, in the purpose episode next. Mm. But I just wanted to talk about a couple of smaller brands. So you may have heard of a disruptor in the razor space called Estrid, which is a female razor product. And it's quite interesting to see what they are doing and how they're positioned. And at the moment, they are available online only. You've probably seen some of their push notifications come through on Instagram, but it's all recycled cardboard packaging. And interestingly, they have a subscription model so that you don't have to buy razors time and time again. And their products are also vegan. Like Who knew that a, a razor... Could Is that be a vegan? thing? I certainly didn't. There's a thing. It's a thing, apparently, yeah. I think so it might cool. be to do with beeswax, but do not quote mm. me on that. Okay, Nice. In In the, in the yeah. razor heads. Yeah. So you can pick, like, every three months you want new razor heads, every month, every 12 months, dependent on your taste. Um, but <laughs> again, they are excessively priced. So it actually works out cheaper for you to subscribe to their model than buying plastic razors time and time again. It's really interesting. Another brand I wanted to mention is Cheeky Cherub, and they are an online platform to buy and sell premium to luxury priced, pre-loved kids, clothes, furniture, prams, the works. And when you think about how fast kids and babies grow out of clothes or baby grows or their newborn basinette thing that you put into the pram, mm. it's just crazy to think that no one else is already doing this. But Cheeky Cherub are trying to offer a very highly curated mix of brands and they also have a concierge service. So it's quite similar to what her collective are doing. So they will literally come and take the products for you, merchandise them for you. And the best thing is you can buy products on that website, but you can also sell those products if they've come to the end of the life cycle and your child's grown out of something. So I think that world of children's is is going to explode and these girls seem to be right at the in in the in the right space at the right time it's really
1: exciting to see what happens next nice that's a very good thing for leanne probably who i hope will be listening to this i think to end on another brand that we all love and i know you're obsessed with them as am i this is a slightly smaller brand although they're pretty big now called everlane out of san francisco And they were really the disruptors when it came to sustainable fashion that is radically transparent. So they have this price premise where basically they tell you exactly how much a product costs, exactly what the markup is. And a couple of times a year, they do this thing called choose what you pay, where they give you a discount and you can actually choose whether you get 10, 20 or 30 percent, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, off and then the difference they actually give away to like charitable initiatives which is pretty cool but the reason why I thought they would be cool for this episode is because they have these collections called Renew where mm-hmm. they either use like for instance they've got Renew cashmere where they use basically the end of the yarn of cashmere that no nobody uses and on top of that they use cashmere that's already been discarded mm-hmm. they re-spin it to create new cashmere. It's super affordable. It's kind of, you know, not that far from, I would say, Uniqlo cashmere pricing, knowing that obviously Uniqlo cashmere is completely new. So to your point, I like that they're trying to make things more affordable and more sustainable. And actually, what I love about Everlane is that they also get things wrong. So through BLM last year, they got it horribly Mm -hmm. wrong. They were called out as one of the brands that don't really believe in diversity and inclusion and since then again they've been super open about it on social media on linkedin that they have work to do that you know these are kind of the steps they're taking to make it better and i have a lot of respect for brands like that that kind of go hey we're human we made a mistake we're trying to fix it
0: definitely we're we're all we're all humans we're all going to make mistakes mm. it's when you don't admit that you're going to change and come out of it and, and learn from it then that's whenever you get frustrated, particularly with brands, when they just skim over it as if nothing ever happened. Because we can't be all things to all people at all times. We have to make sensible choices. And those choices, funnily enough, have to be sustainable with our lifestyle as well. But I mean, the only downside of Everlane Beck's... Oh,
2: stop. uh, Where is it? You
0: still have to order the products and they come straight from America. So... take three to four weeks to arrive and once you've made that decision as I did a couple of weeks ago on a pair of boots every time the doorbell goes I'm thinking is it the
1: best? (laughs) You're excited. I know it is worth it though I got a pair of boots from them last year and they took forever and a day to arrive but they're worth it they're very comfy. It's
0: not like we're going very many places right now so (laughs) uh, hang on in.
1: Okay. So for the second half of the podcast, we are interviewing a good friend of mine, Vanessa Jacobs, founder of The Restory. You'll hear all about her in a second, but we really felt this was a great brand to pick for our Circular Fashion episode because they extend the life of products and it's really cool. So enjoy the interview. Good morning. It's so good to have you
3: on. Thank you for having me.
1: So we have Vanessa Jacobs on the podcast, Vanessa is the founder and kind of all-round kick-ass woman of the Restory. And the Restory is a really unusual brand for us. So it's actually a tech platform and they're the leaders in aftercare. So they effectively exist to extend the life of your kind of favorite items, be it shoes or handbags. And we thought this was a really good way to kind of raise awareness of the fact that, you know, when we buy things, we often think, oh, If something kind of becomes unstuck, we kind of, you know, part ways with it, we sell it, we chuck it. And the rest really is all about not doing that and hopefully fixing things so that we can pass them on to to future generations. So I love the brand and I'm going to let you perhaps tell us a bit more about it. Okay, fantastic.
3: So for anyone who doesn't know the history, Rebecca was one of my very first clients when I was still working out of my home. So really excited to be here and, and I'm super proud of you for this, for all of you for this podcast. And yeah, it's really just great. So I'm super excited to be here and I hope that I can contribute to the retail conversation because I think it's a really interesting space. So I'm Vanessa Jacobs. I'm the CEO of The Restory. The Restory is, a, is a, an aftercare platform dedicated to luxury fashion. It was born in response to my personal frustration with brands and retailers who couldn't or wouldn't. Helped me access the quality of aftercare services that I felt that was warranted, given the type of item that I had just bought from them. So we are really on a mission to transform what's traditionally been a tired, old school, you know, kind of hit somewhere on the spectrum between untrustworthy and hit or miss type industry and transforming it into a luxury lifestyle business that sits alongside the fashion experience. And our aim, is, as you said, is to have you fall in love with your favorites all over again. So we started this journey in shoes and handbags primarily. And recently, we're starting to launch into our second vertical, which has a working title of ready-to-wear, but that doesn't really encompass all the aspects of the softer side of our wardrobe, let's the, the clothing.
1: Amazing. So this episode is all about sustainability and and we were just debating before you came on whether this is just going to be a sort of one, two or three part series. And actually we kind of ended up thinking it's probably going to be a bit of a recurring topic. So Mm -hmm. with that in mind, how important is sustainability for you as a consumer, but also for the restory? I'm going to
3: answer that in two parts, just for the benefit of your listeners that my experience with retail is through the restory and because we have physical drop points in Selfridge's Harvey Nichols, now Harrods, although it closed down quite soon and soon with a major global e-commerce retailer. And so that's kind of where I kind of slot into the uh, the retail discussion. So I thought that might been a bit missing from my introduction. In terms of sustainability, I always feel a little bit like an imposter in this conversation. So, I think that I have always just been somebody who, you know, who would rather have, I've always found something deeply gratifying about just looking after what you've got and, and kind of giving yourself a bit more of an excuse to, to spend better and spend less and then, and then to look after it. And I, I also, you know, I quite like, like everybody else, transformations and, and things like this. So, it's always been an experience that I consumed a lot. When I lived in New York, it was, you know, not much of an experience, but it was certainly prolific. And the quality was generally quite high as as things tend to be in New York because it's so competitive. So I always just kind of had it available and I used it a lot and I liked it. And when I came to London, I just found that that wasn't, that kind of wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. And of course I kept seeing, you know, the sales getting bigger and bigger and the you know, and all the fast fashion brands coming in. I was I always had this kind of queasy, uneasy feeling about it. You know, this feeling of just kind of like retail therapy on the computer. And I just kind of felt like this whole thing was kind of like just unsustainable. While on the other hand, I was kind of getting frustrated trying to trying to consume, you know, these these aftercare services. So the kind of two things came together that, you know, that in to culminate in in the restoration. And the reason I say that I think I'm a bit of an imposter. So I guess. I guess I kind of always just had that mindset and but we didn't call it sustainability back then. The sustainability didn't really become a word until like 2017, 18, became, you know, where it was just kind of on the tongue of everybody. But it was the the whole zeitgeist of it was was feeling uncomfortable for quite a, for quite a while. So I would say, you know, it is it is I think like for everybody it's it's a it's this queasy feeling that we all know inherently is not sustainable we can't go on like this. I mean, nobody can go on like this. Everybody's exhausted. The designers are exhausted. The the seamstresses are being pushed into ever, ever worse conditions into smaller and more developed countries. I mean, the whole thing is just, you could just feel it and see it and sense it. And and nobody was any happier for it either. And that was kind of the other thing. So, you know, technically I was trying to scratch an itch for myself, but I did feel like it was kind of a, a counter push to to this force that felt quite uncomfortable so i hope that makes sense and okay. you say that we just we just started calling it sustainability in yes. 2017
2: 18 yeah we all we
3: were actually all just
2: speaking earlier and we we all three of us said we felt you've summarized it quite well we felt a little bit like a an imposter in this field because we've all got the best intentions nobody wants to be in a world that is you know that doesn't work essentially anymore mm-hmm. because of us but it's really hard to sort of say this is this is what I'm doing and I am perfectly shining example of somebody that is 100% sustainable I don't think probably anyone's there right now but at least yeah, and that's, trying
3: yeah and that's the other thing it is it is still quite a woolly field and the basic fact is that if you're consuming it's not consuming is by definition not sustainable so yeah. That's you know, it's a, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's a hard it's a hard area and I think that you know we all see things in our daily lives every business sees things in the way that they do I mean everybody could be and should be doing there's a lot of low-hanging fruit to do better and then there's a lot of things that can change and you know and start to work better you know, in terms of is it sustainability to the restory, I mean, we always say like, you know, the whole circular fashion movement just doesn't operate without aftercare. You cannot extend the life of anything without looking after it. So it's, I mean, it's, it's you know, we are the beating heart of circularity and the, and circularity is kind of the beating heart of us. So I think that there, although, although that, you know, that wasn't the particular HR was, you know, the one USP I was trying to solve for, but it is, but it is that at its core.
1: I love that. It was one of the reasons that I, I became a, a, a customer very early on, because I, I think we, we all struggle with that. You know, we, we want to do better and we don't really know how to.
3: But you also want it to be fun and like, like, Absolutely. Right? you know, yeah. so like it's, if it's if it's just about, you know, your Celine Trio not not going in the bin or whatever it's, or, you know, or to some Oxfam shop, then it's, you know, that's kind of boring. It doesn't this the whole thing doesn't work off altruism altruism is not a strategy either.
1: that's such a good point and i mean w- we get into this in the first part of the podcast but it's so interesting because th- i think the brands that we are all going to pick because we like them for sustainability i mean i like them because i like to wear them yeah i mean yeah. i would never buy something purely just because it was kind of the right thing to do quote unquote it's just not it doesn't feel right and and you're right it's <laughs> yeah not we not walking around, you know? around
3: in handbags. <laughs> <laughs> no i mean some people
1: do don't get me wrong no judgment but it's just not what we all three like to do, I would say.
3: <laughs> well, I don't know. Put it with a big pair of gold earrings. You could have something <laughs> going on there. <laughs> Accessorize.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I want to talk a little bit about the, the C word, COVID. How have things changed for you guys at the Restory? And have you seen a, a sort of big shift before and after COVID in terms of, you know, that maybe the type of customer that you have or just in general, their attitudes?
3: So, I mean, I'm not going to lie. COVID's been really hard for us. And we've seen, you know, quite wild swings. So like in April and May, when we actually locked down and, and shut the the atelier for several weeks, we were getting all sorts of calls. I mean, people, I mean, you all know how it was like, it was kind of fun. It was a bit novel that it, you were going to be home for like, you know, a month, six weeks. And you was know, the last time we ever did that. So everyone was like cleaning out their closets and And they were just telling me like, look, just come, you know, I got this pile of stuff taking up space by my door, come get it. When you're back open, work on it and, you know, but just get it out of my house. So we had a lot of that in the beginning. And then I think in the summer, everyone's closets were cleaned and and the world started to open up and you can see in our data, like our repeat customers sort of fell off a cliff. Like, yeah, like it it just kind of went really We, you know, we had this big boom back and then we had this kind of like, a slower summer than we would have normally had. And then we had this massive spike, part and due to the Selfridges Project Earth campaign, which was amazing. And we had this massive spike again in September, October. October was our best month ever. We hit almost a million in annualized revenue. And then, you know, by the end of November, we were locked down again. So it's really been like, literally, I mean, you could see it in our graph. It's been a roller coaster. On the other hand, it's been fantastic because I have never operated so much on the, on my own business, you know, I've, I've been constantly just, I I, I feel like I'm just a salesperson, just constantly raising money. And because the mandate was growth, growth, growth. So that's what you see, you need money to grow. So I was constantly raising money. And now the mandate was no, get, you know, get, make sure that the fundamentals are in the right place. Make sure you're, you've got, you're working on your path to profitability and all of that kind of stuff. So, so I've spent the last nine months really operating in my, in my business and and like working you know side by side over Zoom screens, on a desk with a mask, like really just operating on the business, building the tech, you know, down to like little refinements like changing copy and things like that. And 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 so I I the fundamentals of our business are, you know, we are we are quite operationally intense. And I would say that we spent the last year really improving our operational foundations and This year is the year where you're going to see a lot of that come to the surface. On the other hand, COVID's been fantastic in that we are in a much sturdier, waterproof ship, and we're a much more integrated team. And now we're just, you know, now we're just waiting to be, you know, looking for a little room to ruffle our feathers so everybody can see, like, all this great, great new UI that we've designed and you know, the new experience of things flowing a bit easier through our system and being able to keep on top of things. So a much better user experience and a much better operational experience for us as well.
2: That's
1: so great and actually so relevant. I mean, you know, one of the things that we thought of, one of our missions, if you like, as a podcast was really to bring awareness to brands that can really take this moment and kind of adapt and thrive and I think everything you're saying about how you decided, you know, you made a conscious choice to use this to make your business stronger and it's also way more sustainable, you know, financially speaking than it probably ever was before. Yeah. And that you know there's something beautiful about that and I can't remember if it was Churchill but th- this quote that everyone talks about now that don't you know don't let a a good crisis go to waste is so true. Yeah,
3: it's absolutely true but like none of that would have happened without a great team and without a great investor team to kind of support that whole thing. So just getting everybody on the same page, I can't, it sounds kind of not very specific, but it's been, it's been everything. I mean, mm. it's yeah. a really positive I mean, everybody's rowing in the same direction. It's a
0: really positive way of looking at it, I suppose. And, you know, going forward, I do think our mindsets, we, we did a whole episode on resilience
3: and you know it's really been an exercise
0: yeah it's it's truly it's truly testing all of our boundaries of resilience from a work perspective and from from outside of work perspective and I just wanted to ask Erin's having a BBC moment where like there's
1: a kid in the background
3: I just told mine
1: don't come in the room She's mad. <laughs>
0: but I just wanted to ask, what made you guys do the leap from online to physical retail? Like when was that moment that you thought, right, this now makes sense for us to go in to the Harvey next to the Selfridges story? And and we feel like, you know, we want to make that online to, to retail jump. Did it take you a long time to decide? And what were the main factors behind that decision making process?
3: Rebecca will know this story. So I started as a retail. There was a predecessor business to The Restory that shall remain unnamed. And it was a retail-led concept. And I don't mean to poo-poo retailer, but it's, it's quite hard to be responsible for all of that by, by yourself. And when you don't have any money, that's, you know, there's just all sorts of problems. I think you were talking about on one of your podcasts about how hard it is when you're just starting out and you need retail space. I mean, that whole bit is really, really hard. But prior to that, just to start trading, I had started just, I had just started hustling the moms on the school run. <laughs> and so I was already going to people's houses and I found that they were like, oh, you're coming you're coming to the house? <laughs> like, this is great. And they would go up in their rooms and just start pulling all sorts of stuff down. So I'd had this taste of it, but I had this retail concept in my mind and I pursued that. But then I was, you know, I had an 18-month-old baby at home. I was working like 17 hours a day in this retail space. I was the cheapest form of labor there was. And, and at night, oh my, oh my, all the, my mom customers were still like calling me. So I would be driving around at night as well. Like, you know, I could put the baby to bed and I get in the car. And, and then on top of all that, I didn't like the brand that I had built. And I kind of underestimated how much you need to be able to stand behind the brand and how much it's going to require of you. So that's a whole nother podcast. But so basically, I had seen kind of two things at the same time. And I just decided one was the better way to start and was perhaps a bit more scalable. I have always had this thesis we have to meet our customers where they are. And that's why I would go to their home, you know, or I would send couriers to their homes. So I did want to go into retailers always, but the but the economics of the traditional setup just absolutely just didn't work for us like a hundred percent. So when Harvey Nichols came around, they had a relationship with a competitor of ours, and they had a traditional setup, and it wasn't it wasn't working for all sorts of reasons. For Harvey Nichols, probably for them, although I haven't spoken to them, and the relationship was falling apart. So when they came around and said, "Do you want their spot?" I said. I spent a lot of time with Danielle and Rinaldi at the time. And she's like, do you want, do you want their spot? And I said, I said, look, I'd really love to work with you guys, but I, A, the economics don't work for me. And B, I don't know that I won't have some of the same problems that, that so-and-so did. So I put together this kind of vision of, of how I thought that it could work. You know, we can do this all remotely. We can just, you know, I can train your staff on the basics. It'll be the same as like any other person that I would train. I mean, there's only so much you can train somebody if they're not actually sitting there watching people cut patterns and things like that. And I was like, look, I can train your people and I'll build you this beautiful app and we'll put it, the iPad on the stand and here's an I designed the process and you know, how it wasn't going to take up room in their stock rooms and how everything was going to be nice and safe and trackable and traceable and blah, 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 blah. And they bought it and they, and they proposed some economics that worked for us and then, and then we were off and it was great. You know, and then Selfridges just came around and said, "Well, we'd like to have what what they would have, and you know, but here are our terms." And we were like, "Well, those, you know, we can't give you better terms <laughs> than we gave Harvey Nichols. So if you want to, you know, we'll do something a little a little different with you, obviously, but we can't make it more favorable. So let's just make it different." So the economics kind of got codified, which was great, and really a testament to to I think that the relative flexibility of retailers versus brands. So we, you know, we sorted that bit out and then we found a way to make each retailer like, you know, a bit different. There was a different offering for each of them in a way that worked for everybody. So, so we had always wanted to do that. And now I oddly, we've well, not oddly, I mean, quite predictably actually with the retailers. Now we've kind of gone back to digital in the sense that we have our booking system on Harrod's website. So you can book to collect, you know, we'll, we'll set up collections for you via Harrod's website, like we would from our own website. And now, this quarter we are launching with a major global e-commerce player and, and we'll do the same thing and that will give us global distribution wow That's so amazing. it's kind of gone like physical digital physical <laughs> physical and digital and now physical and digital again
2: i think it totally the fact that you've opened in harrods and selfridges and also have is. It, exits it's obviously amazing for you, but it, it really is also amazing for them and it sits so nicely against the kind of demographic that they target their products for.
3: So, so much it, more we can do with it too. I mean, yeah, how so much headroom there?
2: It works. It's a really nice partnership. And obviously with Selfridge's huge Planet campaign, you can see how having you guys there, it's just a, a really nice message for their consumers and really handy as well. It's good.
3: Yeah, and they're a bit of an OG in this space. I mean, I first met Alana Weston mm. in 2009 when they were doing the Save the Sea campaign. They tried to put a fishing trawler that stretched from Marble Arch all the way down to to Tottenham Court Road. I think they never got permission to do that, but they were they were doing this well before you know, again before it was a word. Was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think they're they're quite not to the detriment of anyone else. But they're quite a leader in this space for sure.
1: We wanted to ask you about Project Earth, actually, and kind of did, so they came to you guys and said, do you want to be a part of it? By that time, I think you were already in Selfridges, weren't you?
3: Yeah, so we had a small setup in contemporary, Mm -hmm. in the contemporary brands, and then we moved over as part, then we moved over to what was supposed to be like a temporary setup right next to. (laughs) <laughs> so we we moved over to another part of the store where we were sat between Hermes and Gucci which was great and that was supposed to be temporary but it worked and we had a much bigger display and we had a lot where you know we had a lot more technology with like QR codes and things like that kind of you know we just set it up a 2.0 version and it worked so well that that we changed the 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 terms a bit and have and now have a bigger space in a different part of the store with a bigger display and all new tech and stuff
1: <laughs> do you find that the new display has given you the the chance perhaps to to acquire new customers
3: yeah i mean we're easier to find that we're much more where our customers are i mean you know they're everyone's got their little fiefdoms inside the store right we're right by mm. the champagne bar you know that's fun too because it's you know because you can kind of like digest some of the sample products and the things so you know from a business perspective project earth was fantastic for us yeah and again you can see that big spike in our in our data that you know our, our customer growth shot right up in september from that campaign and i think that and i also think like it just kind of culminated in this time where we also felt, felt feel a little bit freer where you come back from the relative calm of august when a lot of us went on holiday and then we came mm-hmm. back and i remember going into selfridges and watching people sit along the champagne bar and being like wow this is like feeling like we're back and it was fun and yeah you know you really loved being in this store. And I really feel like when we when we come out of this again, I think retail's going to have a boom because I think we are all just, just dying to get out of the house and feel and touch and experience stuff. And I think the trick for retailers is like, how do you make how do you make that last?
1: Mm. yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, in this corner of the internet, that was really a loaded question because we love retail. We can't wait to get back yeah. out there, yeah, and it's just yeah. it's, you're right. It's refreshing to to realize that customers do want that and provided you are giving them something that is, you know, interesting and surprises them. I think that they're more than happy to spend the time with you, you know, to discover something new.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think the store has got to be, I mean, it's always been a destination, but, but I think it needs to kind of change in the sense that, you know, it's got to be a bit more of a, of a broad tent of experiences and, and more of a system in terms of, you know, Kind of keeping and attracting and retaining and applying that systematic kind of behavior that most marketers would, would apply, you know, as most modern marketers apply to their to their business and bringing that into an, into an omni channel kind of experience. So um, totally agree. and I think you know, I, I think there's a real opportunity for retailers, and I hope I hope they can I hope they can capture it.
1: Well said. We couldn't have said it better ourselves. I'm conscious Jessie. of time. And I thought it'd be a good idea just to switch gears a bit and ask you a few kind of quick fire questions because we, we want to find out a bit more about you. So <laughs> with that in mind, tell us what's your favorite brand or favorite product?
3: I have a really soft spot for Gucci loafers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I buy them used. I, buy, I just feel like they go with everything. And I, every, you know, every year I buy myself one or two new pairs, so I'm always trolling on eBay and anywhere just trying to find like just a lot of gucci sneakers and gucci loafers is just my thing (laughs) gucci loafers and before lockdown red nails that was that was also my thing (laughs) so yeah i really just creatively i really like that brand and functionally the product just kind of happens to go with what i like to wear and just kind of works every time so it's it's uh know.
2: what do you think um, of the jw anderson ones in comparison mm -hmm. because i'm obsessed with those i really want some
3: yeah, I haven't, I haven't tried them on yet, frankly. I mean, I mean we've been, we we've been,
2: oh, yeah, haven't true. bought anything
3: in the last couple of weeks, and it's been kind of wet and rainy, so I haven't yeah my toe in yet, but spring is coming. <laughs> Indeed. What's your favorite store? You know what I was thinking about? I read your questions last night, and I was, I, I was thinking Bluebells. I really miss Bluebells. Oh, I've not heard of them. Tell us more. Uh, Sorry, maybe I'm saying the the one on Chelsea Road with the restaurant. Oh yes, apologies. Yes, oh, that's sad. bluebird. That's it. Yes, bluebird. (laughs) So long, (laughs) bluebird. Yeah, I really liked that. I thought that was a that was a great experience. To just you know, you go and you have this wonderful lunch outside, and then you have like a little stroll around. And I think two hundred two on Westbourne Grove does that pretty well, but Mm. like kind of I don't know, not quite as. I don't know it's just not quite as good but you know I've been, I, I always thought that was a great that was a great boutique to go into and yeah, yeah. I thought that was, I thought that was great I like that online or offline <laughs> I would love to spend more time offline I just I just just can't find the time but if I if I go I and again I guess this kind of goes back to my thing about you know how retailers need to adapt I think that you, you know, I think traditionally it's like the idea was that you go there and you kind of get lost in this ethereal space, and mm-hmm. you know, and hopefully drop lots of time while you're there. But I think that in in terms of like being the more omni-channel, you gotta ca- kind of accommodate everything from like I just need to pick up a pair of pantyhose to you know to I want to get lost in this store you know and I want to I want to have champagne for lunch and I want to just mull around and you know, try and couture dresses and blah, blah blah you know whatever you're and I think that they kind of need to accommodate that whole range of things so I would probably spend more time in retail if if they could offer a range of things that kind of accommodated what I had time for if
0: it was more convenient what's...
3: yeah so I, yeah. I I I totally appreciate the the inconvenient part of it and i think there's definitely a time and a place and a mental space for that that i think is actually quite healthy but but um but i also think it you know i could be lured into that space probably a bit more often if i could if i if i was kind of tempted with something quicker <laughs> but i do i do like i do every time i do go into a store experience i'm like oh god that's so like that's why we're here it's gorgeous like it's <laughs> <So> fun <laughs>
0: Have you had any great experiences with any online retailers recently? Do you find any of them are better than others and more seamless?
3: I've been having a lot of fun on Vestia Collective, to be honest. Mm. I've, I have found that they, they really changed a lot, of, a lot of like small things that have added up. And, and I, I obviously, obviously relate this to my own experience with the rest of you. Just a lot of small changes that have added up to a much better experience. And, and I've been having quite a lot of, quite a lot of fun with that. Nice. What's
1: your most embarrassing purchase ever?
3: (laughs) I, I can't, I, embarrassing how, like, like I shouldn't have bought that or. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah, probably. Yeah.
1: Or, or just, you know, something that is kind of not cool, but, but you kind of can't live without, and you know, it's not cool.
3: My car. (laughs) (laughs) What about, what about, what's the most really extravagant my thing?
1: Car. My car. <laughs> without without <laughs> yeah. mentioning cars and houses. <laughs>
3: this is uh, not very maybe... sustainable, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's really not. And I really, and I love it though. <laughs> just love it. Probably my, my Rolex. Like, mm-hmm. I like I just, that. It was my 40th birthday present and I just, I never take it off and I love it. And it goes with everything. And I just like, I just love this thing. Can't live without it. I'd, I'd, like, sell my engagement ring before I sold the watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: that's brilliant.
3: I don't know and if this is progressive. Rolex has fantastic aftercare. Do they? That's yeah. a good tip. For when we all get our Rolexes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm still with Fibbit. Am i talking about baby's jewellery, do your husbands know about this?
2: Yeah, I have asked for something,
3: but, I mean... Yeah.
2: I don't think I'm going to get anything
3: soon. So no, 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 no. You're producing. You're producing a person. You need jewelry.
2: <laughs> I keep leaving hints of rings that I really like, oh. and I keep saying, "Why didn't you ask Erin? Because she knows yeah. what I want."
3: Yeah. <laughs> so I, have these, really I have these rings for these George Jensen rings for each of each of my kids. Oh, nice. Me, my husband got me the middle one. Though. My first kid. I was like, "How? What are we doing here?" <laughs> 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 but yeah, j- baby jewelry for sure.
2: Hopefully, I'll get something.
3: He's very lovely
2: to me, anyway, so I I shouldn't
3: complain. (laughs) He puts. um, Well, I I, you were speaking. I have been having. I have been trolling a lot on uh, on Anushka's website as well. So I've been. I've been quite. Yeah. You know, kind of, kind of. I don't know what you call it. Like just browsing and lusting Mm -hmm. after a few of her pieces. So yeah, I quite like. You know, she she does lots of things, like her crown rings are beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So um, nice. And she does a lot of things with like kind of bugs and things like that.
2: Um, Vanessa, can I just ask, because we've actually got a lot of listeners that are spread out across the UK, and this may be a stupid question, and I'm sorry, I don't know the answer, but do you ship to the, all parts of the UK now? So you've anyone from, from anywhere in the away?
3: world. Oh, anywhere
2: in the world. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. So all of our northern listeners that have got expensive shoes and handbags that you want to... Give a new
3: lease of life you can send them through
2: the restaurant. Absolutely, you
3: just go on our website and you just you just put in your postcode it'll tell you what your collection options are and we can send it we we do overnight shipping anywhere in the world so we just send Amazing. the hl to your home and we'll, so we'll collect it and,
2: and i probably shouldn't admit this but this is genuinely something i do and this explains how sad i am but i go on to your instagram page <laughs> and it's I watch your transformation videos literally I just do that for fun it's so satisfying it is so yeah. like therapeutic the things you do to those products honestly
3: you know sometimes Trainers it's even like i'm because the the atelier is in a different we have two offices so we have a big you know 4,000 square foot space down where all the work gets done and we have a small oh, office wow, upstairs where big. more kind of desk work gets done so so sometimes I don't even see stuff that comes in. Like some of it that I'm watching on Instagram, I didn't even see it come in the door. So I don't even know what happened to it. So like that Dior bag, that was like mm-hmm. that was so satisfying, but I never saw that. I never actually that thing never kind of went through my through my eyes. So that's yeah, even amazing. I'm like amazed at some of the stuff that they do, and I love it because it just really like you know when you're in the day to day grind, and then you see something like that, and you're like, okay, that's why we're that's why we do this. This is why I'm up, you know. Texting Rebecca at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> 1 a.m. The first email you sent me was at 1 a. I'll never forget that. I think I still have that email.
1: <laughs> Last question. Who inspires you? Hopefully In- one day it'll go into an archive. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We should do a little kind of vision board. I like that. I like that. And
3: we did a dream assembly. Uh, Cipriano, the CTO who, st- who started Farfetch with Jose. He pulled up this email. From Jose, that a, a, a Gmail that just said, "I have an idea." You know, like, "Hey mate," you know, "I have an idea." It was like, can we speak tomorrow? And he's like, "Yeah." Wow! You know, nice. And he, he showed us the email, so I do keep those things. That's
2: that might awesome. be one day with us, with retail is dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. we have
3: we have a list actually. We do you remember
1: we have a list that yeah. you yeah. that you wrote out and then you sent it to <laughs> us. <laughs>
3: It's important to co- codify these memories and these experiences. I all about <laughs> definitely
1: <laughs> probably,
0: probably like this
1: time last year. Leanne. probably yeah. Last question, I promise. Conscious of time, mm-hmm. who inspires you, brand or person or both?
3: Well, I well, I th- I find this podcast quite inspiring. I th- I'm really really proud Aww. of. You I think it's it is so good. There's so much crap out there, and it's hard to like. It's hard to cut through the noise. In in terms of my team, I would say, I would say a lot of my team like really inspires me. I think like, you know, Emily just brings it every single day. I mean, she just, even when, you know, the day she feels crappy, she just brings it. My, you know, my team are so creative. They are just always coming up with like these crazy solutions to things. I find that really inspiring. I mean, there's just no shortage of inspiration is there. That's true.
1: Well said. I love that. (laughs) I, I hope one day we can also have Emily on the podcast because she's just this like massive ray of, of sunshine and she never has anything negative to say. And uh, you need people like that around you, especially when you, you know, when you're building something together.
3: Yeah, it's great. It's great. We And I think our team is like, is is quite well balanced. So like I, I can be quite the intense one and Emily is kind of like the sunshine and, you know, and Thais is like kind of the calm water, you know, she's very meticulous, you know. Methodical and things like that. So it's yeah, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good mix. It's a good mix. And now you know, and having having um having John join the team brings a lot of gravitas. Obviously, Chris and Christina and like you know, and everybody. So awesome. Well, thank you so much. That was it. Thank Thank you for being on the podcast. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. I love the I love the retail space. I think there's tons of opportunity. I yeah, I I have lots of ideas about it, and I hope that. I hope with my partners that we can help bring some of that, uh, some of that to light. Uh, Yeah. And another time, maybe I, you know, we can talk about technology because there's a lot in that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes, please.
1: You could be our first guest that comes back. I love that. (laughs) I love that.
0: So for this episode's drop, where we mention a brand that we're all currently obsessing over, or talking about. We couldn't not talk about this one, especially after our massive loving with Vanessa. I hope one day that I can also introduce her as one of my friends, <laughs> <laughs> like you, Beck. But it's the recent collaboration between The Restory and Farfetch, and it's called Farfetch Fix which took me three goes, but there you are. (laughs) And they offer bespoke repairs to extend the life of your favourite shoes, handbags and leather goods. And they're soon going to be launching garment bespoke repairs as well. And that's all done through the Farfetch online website, which is super exciting. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. We really hope that you love this topic as much as we all do and that you're as passionate about it as we are. We could have been here for days talking about brands and Mm -hmm. we intentionally didn't talk about places because we think it merits an entire episode. So we can't wait for our next episode on sustainability, which will be all about the purpose behind it. And apologies again for the sound quality. It's another lockdown recording but one day we really hope that we're going to be able to get together and do this all in real life particularly when Liang gets back and maybe she can even bring Romy with her
1: yeah guys we're gonna have a fourth permanent co-host he might not say much for the first year or so but you know hang tight <laughs> we'll
0: get him in the merch designed by Two Fox <laughs> pretty soon definitely thanks everyone
1: thank you guys